that I used last night in my prayer focus update. I had a question. Anybody read the prayer focus update last night? Uh, and maybe you read it. I hope you did. And as I wrote that, I wrote kind of this strange verse that we have in the Bible from Nahum chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. And that's kind of, you read that verse and you go, oh boy, wow, that's kind of a strange verse to read. And and I hope you don't get a visual picture of that. But uh, God says, God says to the children of Israel, as he's writing, as he's Conveying his message to the prophet Nahum. If God, if you are an enemy of God's people, watch out. Because God is the one who takes care of his own. And I think I wrote that we are, Jesus Christ said, that we are to love our enemies as Christians. To, to do good to those who persecute us. But God knows and he cares for his children. And like any good father, I I can think of, I look around the room and I see a a bunch of dads that I know that if something happened to their children, that would anger them quite a lot. And the thing that would upset them most is if someone came along and did something wrong to their child. And God takes record of those things. And And he's very, very much um, attentive and cares for his children. And in 2 Kings chapter 9, I'd like you to open to 2 Kings chapter 9. We find out that, that some people who have been wrong to God's children, God takes care of them. And Elisha has a little bit of the prophet's job. In this case, and in Second Kings chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, we read these words. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. And go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it out on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house and poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, and I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, 
I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. And Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie, tell us now. And he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the steps. And they blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. As I, I read this passage of scripture, there, there was a debt to be paid. Jezebel and Ahab had acted wickedly before God time and time again. And God, in 2 Kings chapter 9, has a message that's going to come through Elisha that's saying, the time has come for Jezebel to pay for the wicked things that she has done. There, we talked a week ago about how um, there's this thing called terminal chastening. Terminal chastening. Excuse Matt, am I? I may be way off. I think that's week one, and I'm looking for week four. So that's week two. That's week three. And there's week four. Terminal chasing. We talked last week. I kind of set this up to talk about terminal chastening. It occurs when God says enough. And in the life of Ahab and Jezebel, God had finally said enough is enough. And Jezebel, it's time for you to pay for the wicked things that you have done. There, there, I've heard this said before. This is not original with me. There's a reason that there are not a lot of girls running around with the name Jezebel. There's lots of biblical names. There's Sarah's running around and Hannah's and Rebecca's, but you don't find a lot of Jezebel. That's your pit bull dog that you have out in the backyard. That, that's a, a terrible thing. That's what you name Jezebel. That's not original with me. But there's a reason for that. And the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings let us know that. We're going to take a look at a little bit of that. But in this prophecy that Elisha, Elisha comes to Jehu and says, Jehu, you're going to be the next king. And God's got a special job. He's had this special job prepared for you. You are going to end the line of Ahab. And the terrible truth is, is that sometimes God says enough with people. I'd like to tell you a story. And this is a true story. And it kind of breaks my heart. But again, I do not believe in coincidence. I, I don't. A long time ago, when I was very new at Path of Life Camp, we had a swimming pool. And the swimming pool had been there since Charlie had opened the camp 30 years before that. 
and the walls were caving in and it wasn't the greatest thing. And him and I had tried to string it along for an extra year and um, it hadn't worked. And there was a dear woman in this in this church. She didn't come into this church hardly at all. But she was a dear member of this church and there and I've heard Pastor Baker talk many times about her. And I've learned that there are other people who carry on such traditions. That woman was Roma Wayne. If you go into the church library, you're going to look and you're going to find half the books in there have Roma Wayne's name on them. Because she'd get them, she'd read them, and then she'd pass them on to the church. And when Roma Wayne passed away, she left money for the camp to purchase a new swimming pool. What an amazing thing. We, we were just excited. We were, we were amazed. We were thanking the Lord. And um, at that time, we went out and we looked uh, a year ahead of time for people who would uh, come in and put in a new swimming pool. And we found someone who said, oh, yeah, you're a church. Yeah, yeah, I'll, church group, I'll help you guys. And uh, I promise that I'll have it done, and this is how I will do it, and it will be finished by this date. He promised us that. And it got closer and closer to the date, and I thought, and I remember saying, Charlie, a camp's starting in a couple weeks, and we've just got a big hole in the ground. And um, I don't know that we're going to get the point. He said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I said, okay. And it got closer and closer, and the date, that it was supposed to be in, which was more than a month before camp, came and went. And things got closer and camp started and we still didn't have a swimming pool. And we headed into the camp season and eventually towards the end of camp, the swimming pool eventually got done. Cost a lot more money than um, we were told and uh, the materials that we use, we were promised were not given. And um, the construction that we were told would happen was not done the way it was supposed to be. And I can remember going out of my way to try and show love to this guy, uh, to share my faith with him, to, to try and help him out where I could, to go the extra mile. But it really ruined our summer and ruined the, the things that the kids could do. Uh, we made it work and God was faithful, but we were counting on that. And I remember it was about a year later that Charlie came to me and he said, our pool, our contractor of our pool, he died. He had a drug overdose one year to the date that he was supposed to have that pool finished. He had a cocaine overdose. One year to the date that he, and I said, Charlie, are you serious? And he came and he showed me the day that that guy died and the day that he was supposed to have that pool put in. I don't know. I've told you guys, I, I really, I don't believe in coincidence. But that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that there is a God in heaven? Do you believe that that God uh, 
I, I think that we as Christians, we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to be good, do good to them. To go out of our way to, to show the love of Christ. We've got a God in heaven who pays attention to his children. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Especially if you're an enemy of, of God's children. Read the scriptures. Don't be an enemy of God. As we continue to look at this passage. Since the days of Elijah. Elijah has gone to heaven. He was taken up in that fiery chariot. But before he did. He said that what was going to happen. In 2 Kings 9 was going to take place. This goes way back to some personal things that um, Jezebel had done in King Ahab. This was personal to God. This was personal to Jezebel. God said he would avenge the prophets and the, ser the, the servants for Jezebel's crime. There is a truth that we read in the Bible. It's not an easy truth to talk about. And, and one, for me, a sinner, is kind of tough to talk about, but it's true. And it's that all sin carries with it a mandatory death penalty. Romans 6.23, you probably know it by heart. It says, the wages of sin is death. And I'm not going to leave today without ending that verse. But right now, we're going to stop right there. And if you know the rest of the verse, you know where we're going, right? The wages of sin is death. Death separates us, mankind, from God, the source of all wholeness. It alienates us from the God that loves us, that created us, and wants to have a relationship with us. That death has more to do when just the passing from this life into all of eternity. That death has to do with eternal separation from God. And sin must be paid for. So let's look at the origin of the sin that was going to be paid for here in this story. Let's take a look in our Bibles back to, and I'll put it up there on the screen. Let's take a look at, back in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. In 1 Kings chapter 21, we have this sad, sad story. In the story, King Ahab had looked out of his window and he saw this beautiful vineyard. And in this, he wanted this beautiful vineyard to himself. And he went to the owner of the vineyard, Naboth, and he said, Naboth, I would like that vineyard. I'd love for it to be part of, of my, my ownings. And I'd love to have that as part of my property. But Naboth refused and said, this, this property has been in my family and God has mandated that it belongs to me and it should be passed on to the rest of my family. And, and Ahab got upset because he couldn't have that land. And as we read in James chapter 4, Sunday School Guys, Wars and fights start among you because you desire and you can't have that selfishness. 
And he began to want that, and he paced around, and um, things got out of control. He wouldn't eat because he couldn't have that vineyard. And Jezebel comes to Nabal, comes to Ahab and says, Aren't you the king of Israel? And you want this vineyard to be a man and get it for yourself. And she brings in all these people. And to some, it says in verse 13 of, of 1 Kings chapter 21, two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against Naboth, against him in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city. And stoned him with stones so that he died. They sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Very, very sad part portion of scripture. You look at and you just feel bad for this guy Naboth who did nothing wrong and only did things right. And he died so that Ahab could get his vineyard. But then we see that God is paying attention in heaven. And let's read 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 20 to 29 this morning. It says, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. And will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel. By the wall of Jezreel, the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably. In following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. As I read that verse, that passage of scripture, God promises Ahab, I am going to cut off all the males in your line. Your wife is going to pay for this. You are going to pay for this. But in that, we see that that Ahab at that moment has a repentant heart and God offers mercy. He offers mercy to Ahab in that, that moment. 
and He offers mercy frequently. Sometimes, it seems like a long space of time happens between the crime that has been committed and what God takes care of. And God's mercy is long-suffering. He cares about what's going on, and, and He is willing to step in and, and do something amazing. God's mercy can give way to His wrath for the things that that he's, He feels have been done against His people. As we looked in 2 Kings chapter 9, I'd like you to go back there. I put a bookmarks in there so I can get back pretty quick. But as you get in, as you get back to look at this, I'd like you to see the reaction of the people when they find out that Jehu has been commissioned by God, told by Elisha and Elijah that he is going to be responsible for the end of Ahab's line. When the people found find out about it, what they say is, they say, this prophet's crazy. Let, let's read that. It says, Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And I gotta tell you, as I talk about this, this and the fact that God in heaven cares for his his children, and as we watch the wicked around us, and it seems like they might be getting away with it, and as I say to you, God in heaven keeps record, and he knows sins that are being done, and he cares for his children, and sin will be taken care of. You might say, oh, that's crazy. You know, that God, God doesn't let a sin go unpunished. And you might think that's crazy as you sit here today, but that's the truth that we find in the Word of God. The wages of sin is death. They might have thought that the, the prophet was crazy, but Jehu becomes the king. They might have thought he was crazy, but shortly thereafter, they're doing exactly what God in his sovereignty says would happen. Jehu becomes king. And on top of that, they might have thought that, the, the, that this prophet was crazy, and that his, his mouth just had babbling coming out of it. But Jehu became the king. And we see in the next, in, in verses 23 to 26, that Jehoram was killed in 23 to 26 of this same chapter. It says, Then Jehoram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow came out at his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up and throw him into the track of field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth on the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, <clears throat> take him, throw him on the plot of ground 
according to the word of the Lord. So they might have thought that the prophet was crazy, but Jehu is king, Joram is killed, and Jezebel dies. Jezebel dies. Jezebel dies a violent death. God's judgment is always right, and it's always just. In 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 30, we read exactly what had happened to Jezebel. And I'd encourage you, if you'd like, to read it again. 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. But exactly what God said would happen to Jezebel in the life of Elijah, in the life of Elisha, happened to him. And as we read the word of God, I give you warning. I give you warning today. Sin does not go unpunished. God takes care of sin. And we read in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. And all who sin against God will pay for their crimes. The place where sin is paid for is a very real place called hell. It is a place of private punishment described vividly in the Bible is a place of darkness and fire where the devil and his demons and all human beings who who work with the devil to sin against God's government will spend all of eternity. They'll spend it in the lake of fire, a place not created for us, but created for the devil and his angels. God will take care of sin. I put a quote up here um, on the screen from a guy by the name of Greg, Greg Hassan that I thought was very interesting. You will never understand the necessity of the true significance of the cross of Jesus unless you see it in terms of divine retribution against human sin. We, we saw that little video as Joe and Edna sang this morning. The song, I am redeemed. I've been set free. And we saw the image of the cross this morning. And as we think about the cross, the cross is not just some religious symbol that people come to. But it's a place where Jesus carried the physical and spiritual consequences of our sins. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. I said this morning that I was going to state Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, and I was going to start with the first part of the verse. For the wages of sin is death, right? You could, you could put the period right there. But God didn't put a period there. He put a comma there. And right after that, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've talked about this. We spent this morning talking about how God makes people pay for their sins. And we all stand guilty before God. But I want to finish talking about how sin is paid for in two places. The first being the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross for six hours, six indescribable hours of torture, torment, and misery, he paid for the sins of all mankind. On that day, he paid for the sins of Ahab, Jezebel, you, me, our, our leaders in this country, our enemies. And he carried the weight of all those sins. And his blood that he shed, the perfect spotless blood of Jesus Christ, had the power to forgive the sins of all mankind. But we have the responsibility to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one and only Son of God, who paid for our sins on that cross and rose victorious over the grave. And we can really learn what a word like redemption means. To be purchased back from the slave market of sin. Because all mankind, just like Jezebel, is in danger of that final day coming. Where we will have to pay for our sins. And unless we live Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. We'll find out that we're going to pay for our sins in the lake of fire forever. Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. I, I, you notice that Colossians 2.13 is our... Scripture of the month, that's on purpose because I knew that today was coming and that I would be preaching on this in the middle of the month. And I love Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for us to be alive with Jesus Christ forever. Having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, his cross, the cross of Jesus Christ where he paid for our sins. Sin is punished in one of two places. And the choice is yours of where that those sins are going to be paid for. The first of those places is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I say this morning, as I look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, that I was dead in the trespasses and sins. I was as guilty as Ahab and Jezebel. I... Deserve what they have. But I take my sins and I gave them to Jesus Christ. I let him nail them to his cross because I believed in him as my personal Savior. And he forgave me of those sins. And when he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death and hell, I can experience eternity in heaven with him forever. Praise God for the gift of the cross. 
In Revelation chapter 20, we learn that there's a second place that sin is paid for. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 and 15, it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Sin is going to be punished at one of those two places. All sin must be dealt with. All sin will be dealt with. And I am so glad that in my life one day I took the sin the weight of the sin that I had placed in my heart, and I carried it to the cross of Jesus. I said, Jesus, I believe in you. I want the forgiveness that I can find here at the cross, and I offered my sins to Christ, and they were nailed on his cross. And the victory that, that was purchased that day, the forgiveness was not purchased lightly. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The grace that God has given us through what he did on the cross is amazing. And as we look at this, I, I encourage you to examine your heart this morning. You all, every single one of us in this room, have stood as guilty as Ahab and Jezebel. We have done things that are wicked and deserving of God's wrath. And that sin is going to be paid for. And the choice that God gave to you is to choose where that sin is going to be paid for. On the cross of Calvary? Or in the lake of fire? Forever and ever. There's a song that we sing. And there's a line in it that says, millions have come. Isn't that amazing? The blood of Jesus Christ has had the ability to save millions and millions and millions of souls. Millions of them. Someone threw out a number. Right now there might be 300 million Christians in the world today. I like that number. It's amazing. The blood of Jesus Christ paid for the sins of all those Millions and millions of people. Add on the millions of people who died before that. Add on the millions of people who, who are going to go to the cross for forgiveness. They're coming. Millions have come. But there's still room for one. By God's grace, millions have already decided to elect for Jesus to stand as a substitute for them. We talked about it this morning. I, Joe sang about it this morning. I am redeemed. I've been set free. Redemption is the blood of Jesus Christ paying to set you free from the slave market of sin. Praise God, I'm redeemed. One more verse I'd like us to talk 
to look at this morning. We read it in the responsive scripture reading from Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. The shedding of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross is what cleanses our hearts from the sins that lead us to eternal death and separation from God. I love the way Isaiah chapter 1 talks about it. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be made as white as snow. The most powerful detergent from the stains that sin leaves on our hearts. The most powerful thing in all the universe to forgive sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to do business with your, to consider your sin this morning. Consider the crimes that you have committed. Maybe like Jezebel, you've wronged an innocent person. Maybe like King Ahab. You have done wrong against God. You've sinned. You're a liar, a thief, a sinner. And you know that you stand guilty before God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. But praise God, God's grace is greater than our sin. His blood is more powerful than anything you could have ever done. God does not let any sin go unpunished. It may have been years and years and years ago. God has not forgotten. He cannot let sin go unpunished. He died on Calvary so that we could be saved. And today, I ask you, are you prepared for Judgment Day? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I've talked hard about this morning about what the blood of Christ can do, about how he can provide new life. He can save you from your sin. And maybe the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. Would you give your, Would you make that choice to take your, cro- your sins to the cross like I did, like so many people in this church have done, and lay them at the foot of the cross and say, God, Jesus Christ... I believe in what you've done. I bring my feet, my sins to your cross. Nail them to your cross. Forgive me so that I can be saved. Jesus Christ came to this world specifically for that purpose. Don't let the devil sit on your lap this morning. Come down front. Do business with God. Take care of your sin this morning and find redemption, salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Don't let this morning pass without that. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that if there's one person here this morning 
that needs to do business. They need to find your blood to be something that can save them from their sins. Help them do business with God today to bring their sins, their transgressions to the foot of the cross and let you nail them to that cross so they can be eternally forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray.